All right. Once again, happy Easter. And just I want to make one announcement I didn't uh, make earlier. Uh, we do this every week. So just thought I'd give you that. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to be looking at John chapter 20 today. We're going to do a flyover of Scripture. We're going to go to Genesis, Daniel, and Revelation. That's where we're going to be. So if you've got a device or a Bible, you can start in John. If you want to tra- uh, travel around with us as we go through it, you can. Uh, this, the, the message today for Easter 2023 is this, amazing encounters. Amazing encounters. Now, we're, we're, we all like the idea of amazing encounters, whether they happen in our life and, and, and to us or before us, or if we even hear somebody else t- talk about it. It's, it's, it's intriguing. We want to know more. We kind of dive in. We investigate a little bit. And so I was thinking about uh, the reality that Easter is all about amazing encounters. That's what it's about. And so to kind of launch us in that direction, to think about how we are intrigued and we like the idea of amazing encounters, I, I did a little research find out some of the most common Amazing encounters. Now, the first one we have is called the Loch Ness Monster. This is up here right there, Nessie, all right? Recently spotted just out, uh, just a short distance from Norse Dam on Norse Lake. So you water rats this summer, beware of this guy, okay? And, and so everybody's familiar with this. And you dive in, you think, you know, is this guy really real? Okay, and then I looked up another one here, Area 51. Area 51 is 120 miles northwest of Las Vegas, Nevada. And this is like a top secret military base where... There was all this speculation that they, they had uh, spaceships up there, and even they had found some Martians, you know, some aliens. You've seen them on the autopsy table, right? And, 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 the, and the Martians or the aliens were recently spotted, I heard, at Dollywood. Uh, they were in line wanting to get on the mad mockingbird, okay? Because I don't care what spaceship you rode in here on. You get on that thing, you will throw up. It's a kid ride, you will throw up. Okay, so that's why they wanted to ride that. And and so then I I did a little more research, and I I came up with uh, this one. We're all familiar with weather balloons. The next, there we go, spaceships and weather balloons right over here. This weather balloon, just real recently. Now, I don't know if if you knew this. This is new. They now found out that before they blew it up, it had already released 1,000 drones flying around taking pictures, right? I just made that up, got you worked up for nothing, okay? Just made that up, see? See, and, and, and so here's the thing, no matter how real it is or how artificial it is, we're, we're interested, right? We're like, we're curious, you know, what's, is it real? Is it, what's, what's, what's it mean for us in our life? Well, a, a lot of times, maybe it's not inanimate objects like that. Sometimes it's people. And so I remember in the 80s and 90s, after Elvis Presley supposedly died, um, he, there was all kinds of sightings out in West Tennessee. He would be at the quick mark, you know, getting a big gulp and a moon pie, you know. And so there he, there, thank you very much. There he was. He's everywhere. Now, I used to travel to West Tennessee, but I would, to get there, I would go through Tupelo, Mississippi because I lived in Birmingham. Never saw Elvis, but I did see this guy, Marty Stewart. Now, probably you don't even know him. He's an old country star, a rockabilly kind of a thing. In fact, he was at a quick mark getting a Coke and a honey bun, okay? Seriously, I did not make that up, okay? Nice guy, mullet and all. He, he was a genuinely nice guy. But of all of the amazing encounters that we've heard about over time, none really trumps Bigfoot, right? Sasquatch. We've all, we've all seen him, and we've wondered, is he real, Okay? Well, recently, he was, in fact, not making this up, he was sighted Sturkey Village. And so I went over there yesterday, and, it, and he was there. In fact, he was posted up behind Oscar and Marty de Cardenas' house, 
So just to put you at rest, I got him. I got him and I brought him over here. You don't have to worry about Bigfoot anymore because I brought him. Now here's the thing. This is Bigfoot's debut for Easter, okay? Now he's probably one and done and quite honestly, I may be one and done too. Uh, but we, we have these strange encounters, these amazing encounters, right? And we wonder, is he real? Is it real? Or is that something fabricated, right? Well, I want you to know today, Easter and its reality that we talk about today, it is intricately connected to an amazing encounter. In fact, I want you to know today that what Jesus did post-resurrection with his encounters it's not something out of character with Jesus. It's his nature to show up in the middle of crisis. And I want, to sh I want you to see today that post-resurrection Easter 2,000 years ago was not the first time Jesus made amazing encounters happen. So to do that, we're going to go up about 35,000 feet and take a biblical view and we're going to begin by looking in Genesis. Now, nobody here probably denies the existence of a real man whose name was Jesus, who stomped around in real dirt over in the Middle East about 2,000 years ago. I mean, if you do, you're an idiot, just to be honest. He's There's more proof, historical proof, not just biblical text, more historical truth that Jesus was a real man in the Middle East than there's information about Julius Caesar, okay? He's, he's real. And most of us would agree, based on not just biblical text, but extra biblical text, historical references, um, documented investigations that not only was Jesus a real man who walked on earth, he's a real man who was crucified, that he was beaten, that he was hung on a cross, that he was dead, spear thrust in his side, and that he was buried in a tomb as a dead man. Most people, most people in the right mind agree to that. But the rest of the story is the part that people get all tore up about. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Now, why is that important? <laughs> because if he didn't rise from the dead, his birth in Bethlehem, his crucifixion on a cross, his burial in a borrowed tomb means absolutely nothing. He was just another person. But if he rose from the dead, everything changes. All of eternity, past, present, and future, hinges on this moment, whether he rose from the dead or not. Now, if you want to authenticate the fact that you are a dead man now walking, no better way to do it than to reveal yourself. No better way to do it than to provide, to author, to create amazing encounters with people. Now, Jesus has been doing that for a long time. John Walford said this in his book, Jesus Christ Our Lord. John Walford is a theologian, a Bible teacher, was at Dallas Theological, brilliant man. He said, it, it is safe to assume that every visible manifestation of God, every visible manifestation of God in bodily form in the Old Testament is to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ 
of the New Testament. Now, let me give you a little weird education. When Jesus shows up before the incarnation, incarnation is flesh, God in the flesh. There's God the Father, can't look at him or you die. That's what scripture says. There's the second person of the Trinity, Jesus God. There's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. When God manifests himself in a physical, bodily way, it's not God the Father, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus the Son. So, so in the Old Testament, when Jesus shows up like that, it's called a Christophany. It's made up of a Greek word, Christos, which means Christ or Jesus, and phanerou, uh, which means bodily or physical manifestation. So Christophany is Jesus shows up before he shows up in 2,000 years ago. He shows up as a Christophany before he really comes in true bodily form. Now, where does that begin? Well, it's strange. It begins in the beginning. He didn't waste any time showing himself, providing amazing encounters. When you read your Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 are amazing chapters. God creates everything. He creates the pinnacle of all that he did, mankind, the pinnacle of his affection, the pinnacle of his handiwork in the image of him. That's you and me. Two good chapters, and then they mess it all up. Adam and Eve, chapter 3, they take the devil's lie, hook, line, and sinker, and they ruin the whole thing. And the rest of this book is God's love letter about redeeming what we break. That's it, summation of the Bible. Two good chapters, God's fixing it for the rest. Now, in the middle of it, or in the beginning of it, it goes like this. Adam and Eve are walking with God physically, tangibly in the garden. They're, they're right with God. There's no sin. There's no shame. But something happens. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the serpent, Mr. Crafty, shows up. And he's more cunning than all of the created order. And he gives a temptation to, to Adam and Eve. Scripture tells us in the New Testament, Eve was the one that was deceived. Adam, he just played stupid. Here's what happens. Verse 6 of Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for the food and was attractive to the eye, desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Eve was deceived. Adam was just a weenie of a man who refused to stand up and fight for his family. Now they're broken. Now their relationship with God is messed up. Listen what it says. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is when your sin and my sin finds its origin. You see, because of that moment, you and I are guilty before God, before Jesus comes in. Because of their sin, we have a sin nature. It passed on, it's a curse. It passed on through our DNA. Your children have a sin nature because the apple does not fall far from the tree. We all have a sin nature because we didn't fall far from the tree. What tree? Genesis 3 tree. Adam and Eve's fall. Now, that's the situation. We're talking about amazing encounters. So, the first amazing encounter of Jesus in all the Bible is right here 
in the middle of the mess. I call it amazing encounter with the shameful. Watch this, verse nine. But the Lord God, they're naked, they're ashamed, they've made fake clothes, which is religion, when you try to dress yourself up to look good before God so we don't see your, your sin because you look good on the outside, religion. So they've made these fig leaves, they're hiding. It says in verse nine, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, he's not looking for a revelation. He knows where they are. He is, he is omniscient. He knows all things. He's not looking for revelation. He's looking for confession. He's saying, listen, guys, I know where you are physically. I want you to tell me where you are spiritually. Just own it because I already know it. So verses 10 through 13, we find the first blame game. Adam says, dude, she was naked. She pointed an apple at me. What's the guy supposed to do? Okay. And Eve said, it's the serpent you made. He, he's more deceptive. He tricked me. They got all these excuses. We find the first blame game. And then we find the judgment and penalty for <clears throat> doing what God says not to do. Verses 14 through 20. For the woman, it was pain in childbirth. We know that's real. For the woman, it was a desire to rule over her husband. That's real. For the man, it was sweat and toil and thorns and, and weeds so that everything we do to provide for our family and protect our family, it's work and it's real. We walk in it. But then watch this, verse 21. The Lord God made garments for, uh, from skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. What makes me think this is Jesus? This is the Lord. How do we know it's not God the Father? Because it's all physical. This whole story is in the physical realm. When you read it, there's a garden. There's a tree. There's some fruit. There's some fig leaves. There's two people. Their eyes are open. They now know they're naked. They, there's a breeze in the morning. There's a time of day. All of it points to a physical environment. Not only that, they hear him walking in the garden. Not only that, he speaks to them and he hears them. This is a Christophany. This is the first time Jesus has an encounter with mankind and he does it in the middle of the shame. I want you to notice Jesus does not shy away. He doesn't run away from their rebellion and their sin. He doesn't turn his back on their shameful naked condition. He steps into it. He steps into it in an amazing encounter and makes provision for their shame. What does he do? Sacrifices animals and clothes them with the sacrificial skin. Wow, same thing he does 2,000 years ago. Now, isn't this amazing? It's amazing. <clears throat> an amazing encounter in the middle of the shame. But now I want you to go with me kind of to the middle of the Bible, to a book called Daniel. Daniel is an amazing book. Daniel's a prophet. Daniel's an amazing leader. Daniel is a, a man of God who planted his feet and said, I will not give in to Nebuchadnezzar, who was the Babylonian ruler, the now in that day, the, the most powerful uh, uh, nation in the world. Daniel stood strong. So what we find in Daniel in, is an amazing encounter now with the suffering. And in Daniel 3, 
I'll set the stage. Nebuchadnezzar, he was full of himself. He wanted to be God. So he created a 90-foot-tall statue of himself. And he required that everybody bow down, pay homage to the statue Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel had three friends that had been deported from Israel. Nebuchadnezzar brought three of the finest young men, and he wanted to indoctrinate them, train them, uh, get them to drink the Kool-Aid, and send them back so they could tell the rest of Israel, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, he demand. Babylon, that's our new people group, right? They wouldn't do it. They refused to bow down. So Nebuchadnezzar fires up the furnace, extra hot, and he puts these three young men in the furnace. Verse 24 of Daniel 3, here's what it says. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was startled when he got up and he said to his ministers, wasn't it three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? And they replied to the king, for sure, O king. And he answered, but I see four men untied, walking around in the midst of the fire. No harm has come to them. And the appearance, listen, and the appearance of the fourth is like that of a God. Then Nebuchadnezzar approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire, and he called out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego emerged from the fire. Here we find another Christophany. We find a man like, a God-like man, a man like God. That's Jesus He steps into the middle of the suffering of these three young men. Jesus doesn't run from shame. Jesus doesn't run from suffering. It's the nature of who he is to step into the middle of the suffering and be with us and walk. He says they're walking around. He's walking with them through the suffering. So, so let's just narrow it down. Maybe you're here today and you, you feel shameful. You've led a, life, led a life that has dumped you in a place where you feel a lot of shame. Maybe you're here today and you're in a place where your life is just loaded down with suffering. It may be emotional turmoil. It may be physical illness. Just suffering, it seems like. Listen to me. Jesus steps right in the middle of that to provide this amazing encounter when you need him most. So we keep reading. Now, we're going to go to the other bookend. We looked at the bookend on the left, Genesis. We're going to look at the bookend on the right, Revelation. Jesus never stops revealing himself, providing amazing encounters. So in Revelation chapter 1, this is an amazing encounter with the persecuted. Now, there's a guy, his name is John. I'll call him John the Revelator because here he's writing Revelation. He's the same John that was a disciple who wrote the Gospel of John. He's the same John that wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. This guy's incredible, okay? And he finds himself, because of his testimony, he finds himself exiled on an isle, an island called Patmos. And he's all by himself. And this is what happens in Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother, and the one who shares with you in the persecution, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony about Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day when I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And this is what he said, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see whose voice was speaking to me 
And when I did so, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. And he was dressed in a robe extending down to his feet, and he wore a wide golden belt around his chest, and his head and hair were as white as wool, even as white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. And his feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And he held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp double-edged sword extended out of his mouth. And his face shone like the sun, shining at full strength. And when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as though I were dead. But he placed his hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the one who lives, I was dead. But look, now I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Here's a guy exiled on an island because he would not shut up that Jesus rose from the dead. He just wouldn't shut up. So they wanted to get rid of him. They were afraid to kill him. And, and, and so they put him on this island. And now he doesn't just see Jesus as a disciple would see Jesus walking with him every day. He doesn't see Jesus like we're going to see today just after his resurrection. He sees Jesus after Jesus has ascended to heaven. He gets invited into heaven to see Jesus later on. Now, so we read these and we say, okay, those are amazing encounters. You, you couldn't argue with that. But it makes sense. Because surely Jesus, God, would reveal himself to Adam and Eve. They're like the first people on the earth. And they're the ones that messed everything up. Okay? Sure, they're going to show it to him, but to them. And surely Daniel, the, the prophet and the leader, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, surely that one makes sense. And by all means, John, who refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved most, surely he gets one. What about you? What about me? I mean, that makes sense, right? But what about us? Does Jesus desire to give you an amazing encounter with the greatness of who he is? I want you to know today, an amazing encounter is what every person needs to be born again and saved. And an amazing encounter is what carries us through the shame and through the suffering and through the persecution. But I want to show you how I know that Jesus will get right down and dirty with each one of us with an amazing encounter. Now we're going to go to John chapter 20. Now, Jesus is resurrected. We had Good Friday service, and for those of you that came, thank you for coming. And we... we, we um, we talked about what Jesus did on a cross. It was brutal, okay? He was brutal what he did for us. So he's dead on Friday, and they take his, his badly beaten body, and it's dead, and they take his corpse, and they put it in a tomb, and that's where we left him on Friday. 
And then we took communion because communion is a way for the Christian to remember that he gave us his, his blood and, and his body as a sacrifice. So we left him there on Friday. <laughs> but it ain't Friday anymore. You see, it's Sunday. And on Sunday, the grave couldn't hold him. On Sunday, death couldn't hold him. On Sunday, hell couldn't hold him. Jesus just got on up. And Jesus came on out. Why? <laughs> because he's not finished giving, authoring, providing amazing encounters with people who he loves. And I want you to know he still does it today. Now listen how it plays out. Jesus resurrects, and he doesn't do what we would do. He, he doesn't go where I would go. Now, I know you're more like Jesus than I am, but I wouldn't go to where he went. I'd be marching my bad self right up into Rome. I want to see the leaders. I want to see the soldiers. I know them. I saw their soul. I know them. Bring them up here. I'm going to blast them with lightning, okay? I, I, I want to go see my mama because I want to say, I told you it's going to be okay, okay? Just comfort her heart. That's not where Jesus goes. Jesus does the same thing Jesus has been doing in all these other Christophanies. He goes to the people who need him most. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now, very early on the first day of the week. Let me pause right there. That's why we meet on Sunday, by the way, not Saturday. Saturday is the Jewish Shabbat, the Sabbath. We come to church on Sunday. What's up with that? Jesus got up on Sunday. The church was put together to worship the resurrected Jesus. They met on Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday. You probably knew that. Just thought I'd help you if you didn't. Now, on this Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed or had been moved from the entrance. And so she went running to Simon Peter, the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Let me just pause right here. This is John writing this. And he, he thought he'd throw this in. He went to the other disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> that would be me. That's what he said. He just loves me, you know. Peter's, he's okay, but he loved me. Now he goes on, he says this, he says, he says, and he told them, they've taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Then Peter and the other disciple, John, set out to the tomb. Now the two were running together, but the other disciple, which is him writing about himself, ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, it's, he loves me more, and I'm faster. I just want you to know, you know, who you're dealing with here. I'm fast and I'm loved, all right? Now he goes on and he says, verse 5, He, John, bent down and saw the strips of linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who had been following him, why? Because I'm faster. He says, arrived and went right into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen cloth lying there. And the, face of, and the face cloth, which had been around Jesus' head, not lying with the strips of linen cloth, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, because <laughs> he's faster, he came in and he saw and he believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So the disciples went back home. But, but... Mary, Mary Magdalene, she stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she bent down and she looked into the tomb. 
She saw two angels in white sitting there where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. And this is where we find our next and our first resurrected amazing encounter. It wasn't to Pilate. It wasn't to his mom. It wasn't to the soldiers. It wasn't to the people who rejected him. It was to a woman who was brokenhearted. A woman whose life had been so radically changed. She lived in a world where people in her culture rejected her and hated her and judged her. And along comes this guy named Jesus, a teacher, a rabbi. And she lo he loved her even though the rest of the world hated her. And she's crying. So number four amazing encounter is an amazing encounter with the brokenhearted. Now, who is this woman? It's Mary Magdalene. She's, she's the most prominent female disciple in the New Testament. She's mentioned over 12 times. She walked with Jesus as a disciple. She traveled with him. She supported his ministry financially. She was at his crucifixion. She was at his burial. She was at his resurrection. And she is toe up. She is broken hearted. Now look what happens in verse 13, this encounter. So the angels, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And Mary replied, they've taken my Lord away and I do not know where they've put him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15. And now Jesus, this amazing encounter, he says, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Now, because she thought he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She was familiar with that voice saying her name. They traveled together. She was familiar with the love and the wisdom and the passion that came from his voice because he loved her even in the depth of her shame, even in the depth of her suffering, even in the depth of her persecution, and now he loves her in the depth of her brokenheartedness. And she turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus replied, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God, your God. And Mary Magdalene came and informed the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what Jesus had said to her. So brokenhearted, does this seem like the place that Jesus, fresh out of the tomb, the freshly resurrected Jesus, the very first person she, he goes to is a weeping woman, a brokenhearted person. Maybe you're here today and you got a broken heart. Just life, man, has dealt you business and your heart is broken all to pieces. I want to tell you, Jesus will step right in the middle of that brokenheartedness. It's what he does. It's who he is. But it doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with the amazing encounters. Number five, an amazing encounter with the disenchanted. Now, verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the disciples, they had gathered together, and they locked the doors in a place because they were afraid. 
They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. The door's locked. Jesus just slides on through because now he's in his glorified, resurrected body. He transcends natural laws, gravity, atomic structure. Ain't got nothing on the glorified body. He just slides on in, shows up for the party. And he finds them afraid and disenchanted. Now, he says to them, the, the words they needed to hear, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Sure they did. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after he said this, he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sin, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sin, they are retained. Here are his disciples. His disciples have been with him when he's on the hillside feeding literally thousands with a borrowed lunchbox. They've been with him in the boat when the sea is ripping and roaring and Jesus stands up and says, hey, calm it down. They've been with him when a man is lowered from the ceiling, never walked in his life, and Jesus says, pick up your pallet and walk on home. They've been with Jesus when he tells the blind man, hey, scoops up some mud, puts his own eyes and say, now you can see. They've been with Jesus when he performed miracles over everything, but he's dead in their eyes. He's gone. It was all good while it lasted. And now, in this moment, he shows up. I want you to know today, listen, and maybe in your spiritual journey, maybe just in your life, you find yourself frustrated, afraid, and disenchanted. Things just don't really, they're not playing out like you thought. Things aren't stacking up just like you had in your mind. I want you to know Jesus will step right up into your disenchanted, fearful life and give you an amazing encounter. Now, it doesn't stop there. This thing just keeps going on. Number six, we now find one that's probably the most common for all of us. It's the, an amazing encounter with the unbeliever. This person is the representation of some people in your family. Maybe a son, maybe a daughter, maybe a parent, a grandparent. Maybe a neighbor, maybe your boss. Maybe people who are members of the church. Verse 24, now Thomas called Didymus. Didymus means he's a twin. He's got a twin brother. One of the 12, he wasn't with them on Sunday evening when Jesus showed up for the disciples. And the other disciples told him, hey, we've all seen the Lord, man. But he replied, unless I see the wounds from the nails in his hands and put my finger in the wounds from the nails and put my hand in his side, I'll never believe it. Eight days later, the disciples were again together in the house, and Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again, just whoosh, came right on in. And he said, hey, peace be with you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, Thomas wasn't there last time. Jesus omniscient, he knows what, Jesus, what Thomas is thinking. This guy's name still carries with him doubting Thomas. Somebody doubts Thomas. Oh, you're just no doubting Thomas. That's a 2,000-year-old name. How would you like 
your worst day to carry with you into centuries past your death. That's this guy. Jesus knows that. And Jesus says, put your finger here. Examine my hands. Extend your hand and put it in my side. Do not continue in your unbelief, but believe. Thomas replied to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Here's a guy that looks a lot like the person who looks back at us in the morning when we're brushing our teeth. We have these doubts. And no doubt, Thomas is just being honest. When the rest of us, we just kind of fake it. Sometimes we just lie about it. Everybody, are you a Christian today? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I hope I'm a Christian. You going to heaven when you die? Yes, I am. I want to go there. Okay? We, we kind of fabricate it to push through the doubt. There's people in here today who believe in a real man named Jesus. Believe in a real crucifixion on a cross. But you just have trouble diving in to the resurrection. Grabbing on to the fact that the resurrection was for you. If there were no others on the planet, he would have done it for you. Here's a guy who says, I, I just can't, I hear you, church. I hear you talking about Jesus and oh, happy Easter. I, I see you singing these songs. I get in your car and you got Christian radio on. You go into group, okay? You carry a Bible. I get it. You believe in the resurrected Jesus. It's awesome. And I wish I could too. I just don't have that kind of faith. It's into that arena that Jesus steps in with an amazing encounter. And he says, you don't have to doubt anymore. Now, we're almost done. We're almost done. I'm glad I didn't get an amen right there. I would have called you out. I would have called you out right now. Okay? We're almost done. I need you to lean in. I need you to listen. How, how do we finish this thing up? It's so cool. It's in the Bible. Adam and Eve had an amazing encounter in the middle of their shame and nakedness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, amazing encounter in the depth of their suffering. John the Revelator, amazing encounter with the future glorified resurrected king of the universe Jesus on the Isle of Patmos in the middle of his persecution Mary and her broken heartedness weeping just just obliterated at the loss of the one she loved so much named Jesus the disciples disenchanted and afraid locked up in a little room because they didn't know what was next Thomas faithless and doubting, not able to get to the place where he could say, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Why are all those in there? Why are all of those recorded? Why do we still have those? Some of these transcripts, we still have them 3,500 years later. Why do we still have those? Why are we here today reading about that and listening to some goofy preacher about that. Are you ready? All of it is recorded for you. Tell the person next to you, it's for you. It's for you.
He did it all for you. He started in Genesis 3. He does it throughout the Old Testament. Then he shows up, God in a bod, Jesus on this earth, the incarnation. He shows up for 33 years, three of, the year, of, those, of those years in ministry, revealing the fact that he was God. Died on a cross, rose from the dead, keeps on revealing himself. So that 2,000 years later, Easter 2023, you could know with certainty in the depth of your soul and your being. that There's a big God out there who has a big son whose name is Jesus. And he gave a big death on a cross. But on the third day, he made a big showing when he got up out of that grave. And because of that, you don't have to worry about death, hell, and the grave anymore. Now, how do I know it's for you? Because it sounds like it would be cool if it was, right? Well, the amazing encounter is for you. Because in verse 31 of that chapter, listen to what it says. But these stories are recorded so that you may believe. Why? That you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he did it all. He did it all. This whole book, this whole book is focused on you as an individual. He knew you while you were yet in your mother's womb. He knit you together. He knows every bit of your shame. He knows every bit of your suffering. He knows every bit of your persecution. He knows every bit of your disenchantment. He knows all about your brokenheartedness. He knows everything about your doubt. And he comes running because he's a resurrected, true, and living Savior. And he comes running right up into the middle of that and says, I'm right here for you. Amen? Amen. Now, so here we are, Easter 2023. That's the message. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I'm going to dial it in. 50 years ago, almost within a couple of weeks of this date, I'm going I'm to come down here, guys. Don't freak out. Almost 50 years to the date, I was a little boy, ignorant, just goofy little boy like, like 10-year-old boys are. And my parents loved Jesus. And they wanted me and my three brothers to love Jesus, to know, love, know Jesus and love him too. And they brought me to a revival every night. And I was sitting right back here. Y'all are freaking out. Oh, come, preacher's coming over here. <laughs> preacher's, oh, here's the empty seat. I'm going to get it. <laughs> yeah. And I was sitting here with ADHD, ABCD, EFG. And there's a preacher who I don't know because he's a guest. He's wearing a suit. Okay. I don't know his name. I don't know what color suit or his tie. I know how many people had gray hair. I know how many, how many light bulbs and windows there are. I'm counting stuff, man. I was taking inventory. And every night of that revival, he would say, do you know Jesus in a real way? And do you know for certain if you died, you'd go to heaven tonight? And I wouldn't hear anything he said, but I'd hear that every single night. 
On Friday night, the preacher said that again. And I'm sitting there as a 10-year-old boy, and he said that to me. Like there was nobody else in the room. It was dialed in. What he didn't know is he wasn't even saying it. The Holy Spirit of God was saying it to my soul. And this is what he said. I love you right where you are. But I love you way too much to leave you right there. I want you to go with me on a journey. Now listen, I'm sitting there. And now they stand up. Now we're singing. And I'm hanging on to the seat in front of me. Hoping that, you know, a hurricane would sweep us off the planet. And he invited us to come up there. And I was a little boy. And I walked up there. I'm scared. I'm wicked scared. And I told the preacher, he's standing up here. I'm all by myself. I told the preacher, I said, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. But God just invited me into his family. And I'm a sinner. And I, I, I need to be saved because I wouldn't go to heaven tonight if I died. And he led me in a prayer. Simple prayer. I didn't understand theology. Still don't understand much of it. I didn't understand doctrine. I got a little bit of that. I didn't understand anything. I knew this, God was good and I was bad and he loved me through it in Jesus' name. And in that moment, the king of the universe came into my heart and he radically changed my soul. And I can tell you right now and ever since that day, there were some days I doubted because I would get away from God and live in sin and then I would wonder, am I saved, am I saved? Some of y'all do that. I prayed, that, I prayed Jesus come alive a hundred times just to be sure. But he came into my heart that one time and he never left because he can't, because he saved me. Now, when I, I said amen, I was crying. I didn't know what's going on. And I turned around and my older brother was there and several of my friends. A bunch of people got saved that night. Not because I got saved, because God was in the place. And I truly believe no matter why you came today, God is in this place. And I believe with everything that's in me, there are those in here today who need an encounter with Jesus. To get in the middle of all the stuff in your life and to rescue you from you. You say, how do you do that? It's just as easy as it was when I was a little boy. You come to a place where you're honest with God, where you just say, God, I agree with you. That's repentance. When you turn in from your own mind and agree with God 180 degrees, God, I agree with you. I'm toast. I'm a mess. I know I'm a sinner. I can get witnesses if you need me to bring them. Okay. But God, I believe you love me anyway. And I believe Jesus died on a cross if there were no others just for me. And I want that Jesus. I don't understand it, but I want that Jesus to come in and fix all of this mess because I can't fix it. And you know all about it, and you paid the price for it. I give all of my brokenness to you in exchange for all of your perfection. Save me today. And just like those amazing encounters, Jesus will step up in the middle of your business and meet you where you are. I want to pray. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today... And you didn't really come for this, to make a decision for Christ. And maybe you've got religion in your life, or maybe you know some things about the Bible and about Jesus. But it's on this day that you feel him inviting you into his forever family. And you want to receive that today? Would you raise your hand for me today? Just simply slide your hand. I'm not going to come to you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. You can, right there in your seat, you can receive Jesus and the glory of his grace into your life. And he'll send his Holy Spirit to seal you as his own. He will adopt you into his forever family. And scripture says nothing can snatch you away. Maybe you're here today and you've already received Jesus in your life. You need a fresh, amazing encounter. And I would encourage you here in just a minute, if you need that, just to come down here to the altar and bow and pray and just to ask God to forgive you. Ask God to give you a fresh encounter. Ask God to touch you fresh on this Easter 2023. And then for all of us, if you need the church to pray for you, if you need me to help you in your journey where you're at, you can, you can do that by coming forward and I'll pray with you now. Or you can do it through the connection card. Let me know and I'll reach out to you. We want to be here for you. That's what the church is here for. Now lastly, maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. But you've never followed Jesus physically in baptism. And you can be baptized on this day. That's the first step for a believer is to be baptized. And maybe you've put it off for a long time. You could do that today. You say, how? We've got the water in the baptistry. We've got shorts and towels and t-shirts. You don't need anything. If you would like to be baptized today, I invite you to come and find me right over here on the, my right, your left, and I'll help you do that today. Father, we thank you for this amazing day. Thank you so much for Easter. It's the greatest day of the year. Every day is Easter because you're always resurrected. But the opportunity just to come together and talk about, be reminded, encourage each other with what a great thing you did by rising from the dead 2,000 years ago. We thank you, God, that you're still alive and you always will be. And now, God, those of us that follow you in Jesus' name, we are alive. We're alive forever, but our new abundant life begins the moment of our new birth when you come in to save us, to rescue us from our condition. And we just want to say a great big thank you. We love you. We praise you. So now, God, we give you this time. Help us respond as you would have us respond. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.